we're all not great at everything, but that's just standard. And we, and, but I think it's really important that those key people at the top, at the helm are able to really identify their strengths and be able to share it with those people. And so that you can distribute those roles easily. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I am joined by Tennis George, who is the founder of the Co-Founders Hub, former co-founder slash COO of Trilio, and the co-founder COO of multiple startups, fellow Vancouverite. Tennis, how are you today? I'm great. Anthony, how are you? Oh, I'm so excited. And everybody watching at home and you're looking outside and you're seeing how beautiful it is in the background. No, it's not Vancouver today, but that's okay. But Tannis has done a lot of cool things in the startup world, built an amazing company, is working on another cool project. I'm just so personally and professionally excited to talk to you. Tannis, why don't you tell our listeners more about you, what brought you to today, and then I'll get into some questions. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Anthony. So yeah, I mean, origin story. I uh, started multiple tech companies in the data-driven businesses, mostly in the identity space. My first company, I started right outside of high school with my best friend in high school, uh, Stephen Efford. And we started about a year or so after we graduated and found ourselves in a really, really unique market, very niche and it was something that was able to take us through over a decade while we built three multiple three tech companies each of them that we were able to successfully build and exit and then after that decade we kind of shook hands and said well that was a fun ride you know that's it it's over and then um basically steve said you know what i'm going to head to silicon valley we got this idea i want to do some r&d on it do you want to go on the, this ride too and i said sure but i got two kids under two at that point. And I said, you go on ahead and I'll manage things from, from Vancouver and, and you head down and, and that's what he did. So he did R and D we raised money down in the Valley, brought that money up to Vancouver and the rest is basically history raised our, all of our, all of our rounds actually based and headquartered out of Vancouver. So very proud to to be able to marry both both geographical areas. You know, a lot of times Vancouver thinks they're Silicon Valley North, and you know we were able to really marry those two together. So it was awesome. Yeah. That's excellent. And then what are you doing now with the co-founders of? Yeah. So after uh, I sort of stepped out of the day to day at Trulio, I would I was looking at what can I offer next? And I would get asked to advise a lot of co-founders who were struggling in their partnerships. And they said, man, you've built four companies with the same co-founder. How have you done it? And you haven't killed each other yet. (laughs) That was really the premise of it. And so I realized that there really was a shortage of resources and tools for people who were at the helm of their companies. And I realized that I had some really interesting insights. And then once I interviewed hundreds of other co-founders, I was able to kind of bring all that together. And I wrote the book, The Co-Founders Handbook. 
And now the Co-Founders Hub is a online resource for uh, co-founders to get tools and support to grow their businesses through stronger partnerships. Sweet. I love it. Well, I will definitely ask you about that. By the way, if you haven't looked up Truly, it's an amazing company and all of the other companies that I'm sure you have brought in there. But uh, I want to ask, we'll, we'll speak to the COO side of things, because mm-hmm. I do know that there's a lot of COOs who sometimes want to kill their CEOs. And you know, we're about keeping, we don't need succession planning at this point. Uh, obviously, it was very helpful, I assert. It was helpful that you had somebody that you knew and you trusted, that you guys understand how you worked together to create that partnership. I also assert that you probably had complementary skills, You know, the visionary versus the operator, that kind of thing. But for you specifically, how did you guide yourself or how did you continue to be a successful COO? What made you a great COO is really my question. Yeah, you know, startups are such a unique atmosphere because you really have to wear so many hats. And I think anyone who started a company, they recognize that you, you know, the term when a when a when an early startup person says janitor as their role, you know, or COO and janitor or whatever it is, that's such a reality. And so for us, by the time that we moved into Trulio, I think we had really mastered the ability to be to wear different hats and to be malleable and such. So I think when it came to our roles, we had already had experience in three other companies of what what we did well. And for Steven, he's amazing at really just taking the vision and and being that mouthpiece to communicate it from from a very simplified level. And I was able to be there as that support. I call it support, even though we both had, you know, vital roles, but to be able to come in and go, I know what you're, you know, I know what you need while you're out there fundraising, while you're out there, you know, spreading the word, I can be here kind of holding down the fort and, and really just helping to run what's going on while he was out there, you know, doing CEO type roles, which is a little different as a startup founder, I think, than sometimes when you're scaling a company. Absolutely. Because the companies you work with, they were not tiny. Like, yes, you might have started off as the janitor, so to speak, yeah. but, you know, you had some some size behind you. So it's more than doing all of those little roles, but it's managing all of that and supporting that growth and scale, if I understand. Absolutely. And it's interesting as the COO of a company, especially uh, starting off as an early startup phase, your role slowly, I think, alters a lot more than, say, the CEO role. So when you're starting off early, you kind of have all these jobs. You're in marketing. You're you're assisting with uh, the finance. You're doing all these sort of supplemental roles. And as you grow and scale, you're able to slowly pick apart, I think, more of the COO's position gets picked apart a little bit more. And that gets... Mm sort of distributed out of your role. So there got to a point after about the third or fourth year that I was able to technically kind of look at what it is that I actually enjoy in starting a business before you don't have that glory or that that benefit of being able to choose what you want to do. You got to do it all. But there was a point in the role of Truly You that I was able to say, hey, let's branch off some of these operations type to people who really have a strong skill set in that way. And I love marketing. So I kind of grasped on to marketing um, a little bit more, even though my role was still COO. We were able to 
you know, distribute those tasks in some ways to people who are really strong. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because I see a lot of CEOs of large businesses that they don't have some, uh, whether it's like a 30 person company or, you know, a 300 person company where they haven't put that COO in place. But I, I, it's interesting to show that the COO can take off progressively or unpeel the, the task of a CEO. It's critical to understand their needs and then you kind of backfill them so the CEO can do what they do well. I do find that CEOs without a COO, there's usually an area that pulls them back. Like they get held back because they might have an individual role, but if they don't have somebody like with their back at all times, then that is their glaring weakness. Did you find that that was the case and you were able to like dance well together in that? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, one of the things that even, even in a, because you can use it even in a, in a organization, if you have, even if they're not co-founders necessarily, you still have this, you know, synergy that has to occur. And of course, we're all not great at everything, but that's just standard. And we, and, but I think it's really important that those key people at the top, at the helm, are able to really identify their strengths and be able to share it with those people. And so that you can distribute those roles easily. And that was what I think Stephen and I did really well. And that's what we talked to people about is that we were able to really determine what was his strengths, what were mine, and there was no ego. And we just we just stepped off where each other left off, and that was really, I think, a key a key role, and key mm. importance. Yeah, absolutely. So, first of all, congratulations on all that stuff because uh, that's really cool. So, let's switch gears a little bit, talking about co-founder life because co-founders are typically, you know, you see them more in tech, and uh, in my experience, partners, not co-founders per se, are often the bane of a startup entrepreneur's existence or small business existence. So what is the key to good co-founder relationship as one is starting up a business? And then, you know, how does that become more important as as the business matures? When you have nobody working for you, then it's just you two or three in a bunker. But if you get to 100 or 200 people, how does that co-founder relationship need to evolve? I love that you, uh, side note, I love that you captured co-founder versus business partner. And in a way, I think that's tomato, tomato, but you're absolutely right. Co-founder is really the term typically used in the tech industry, but really this is across the board for all business partners. There's really no difference. I interviewed co-founders in construction to music bands, like, you know, where you kind of have the lead singers, like the CEO. And so you have these, you know, this is across all business partners. So, um, you know, 65% of businesses are going to fail because of issues between the founders. And that's a massive amount. That was one of the things that really triggered me to go, I had no idea. And so one of the things that I'm a huge proponent of is trying to teach intentionality to people, no matter what stage they're in, when it comes to their partnership. So if you are looking for a co-founder, you need to be incredibly, incredibly intentional about who that person is, because you are literally putting your financial future uh, in their hands. And if you do that with the wrong person, you're really going to be in trouble. And then if you're in a partnership already, same thing. you got to get intentional. This isn't a set it for and forget it kind of relationship. This is something where on a daily, weekly, monthly, annually basis, you really, really, really need to be intentional because 
as strife happens or stresses in your business or things that happen, and they always do, as that happens, you really run a risk of jeopardizing your business. And so I really try and and help people to see the correlation between a strong partnership and a strong business. And so intentionality is like a huge, huge word when it comes to co-founder partnerships. Mm. So we do strategic planning. We facilitate strategic planning offsites for leaders, their executive teams. What was the processes or systems that you put in place to maintain that alignment on that daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis? Was it relatively easy? I mean, like all relationships, you need to work at it. What are the two or three things that you did that cemented your success in your relationship? Yeah. So so one of the things that I think Stephen and I did really, really well and was a unintentional um, reason for our success, and that was our communication was very good. Mm. We talked about issues before they happened. Partly maybe because we knew each other and we just had a history, but we also talked about, hey, is this going to be a problem down the road? And we would we would whiteboard even our our vision for the company. We'd whiteboard almost like a choose your own adventure. Here's all the possible scenarios and here's where they could all go. And we would talk about these potential issues as we grew the company. And so we really talked about the things that could potentially jeopardize our partnership and jeopardize our business. And we were very honest, very authentic with one another. And there really was nothing that couldn't be talked about. And so, I mean, that is that is key. We actually even, we created a, the discovery session at the hub. And that is like 120 questions of ta- things you got to talk about before it becomes an actual issue. Like questions like, should we let our kids work in the business? Like that's a huge one. The amount of people I talked to who said that their partner brought their spouse in halfway through the business. And all of a sudden, it's like, how do you say, no, I don't want your spouse working at the company. That gets very charged, especially in the moment that they want to bring them in. So if you can talk about these converse, these topics ahead of time without the char- emotional charge behind it, it becomes very, very valuable. So again, it's having these hard conversations. Hey, Anthony here. One of the things I don't talk too much about on the podcast is what we do at SME Strategy. So I wanted to let you know that if you and your team are thinking about getting together you know, this winter or even in the new year for strategic planning, that we'd be happy to have a conversation to see how we might be able to help your team walk through the strategic planning process and make sure that your people, your strategy, your culture are on the same page. One of the most exciting parts about the work that we do is being able to lead people through a proven process to help them get to where they want to go. If you're interested about that process, our video about it on YouTube just hit over a million views. So be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think. Uh, But most importantly, I wanted to let you know that if you are looking for somebody to partner with your team to support everybody in getting aligned, moving forward towards a clear set of goals and objectives, and really making sure that you have the foundations for that next stage of growth, that we can partner with you to do that. Whether that's through an offsite strategic planning session or you know follow-up support services to keep you accountable, to help your team grow and develop, or really to lead a full transformation. So if you're interested, check out smestrategy.net. You can check out our about page, our services page. It'll tell you more about how we do things. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with you to see if we're a good fit to help. 
Thanks so much. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. And now let's get back into the episode. So basically what I heard it before you actually explain it. So you basically have to go to premarital counseling before you get into your partnership because you're going to be stuck with each other for a long time and better do all of that stuff on the front end than on the back end. Assume success. Assume your company's around for the next 30, 40, 50 years and you got to navigate that path with the same person and you're going to go through all these different life stages and Again, some of these things that come in are better talked about before their issues, you know, divorce, illness, uh, death, heaven forbid, people who go through phases where their financial situation changes and all of a sudden they're like, I need money. Mm. I need more money than I did. And maybe it's for a short term, but how are you going to handle that? How do you help each other out? These are like really, really intense questions that oftentimes, I think, especially in the early stages, it's a bit of a wet blanket exercise where we're ripe with excitement. We're we're the next Facebook, you know, we're heading out there. We're going to, you know, knock this out of the park. The, the last thing you want to do is say, well, what happens if one of you, one of us is caught stealing or mm-hmm. one of us is, is, is writing bad checks? Like nobody wants to talk about that, but yeah, it's preparation is, is, Hindsight's twenty twenty, but at the same time, dig your well before you're thirsty. I love it. Oh, and communication being critical, like having not be afraid to talk about it. The the one thing I see as an advisor is where you have a partnership, uh, not necessarily co-founder, but call it partnership. But yes, same, yeah. same, but different. Yeah. And one, and the company has become successful on the back of one person, for lack of a better word. Somebody yeah. does ninety percent of the work. Somebody does ten percent of the work, and it's super uncomfortable because you don't want to talk about it. And then maybe that 10% is very, very, very valuable, but it's still only seen as 10% versus 90. And then it gets messy and then you get a divorce and then it causes problems in your research. What did you see? How have people dealt with it? How have they not dealt with it to their own demise? Yeah. You know what? That's a massive one. That's a huge one where you have this unbalanced work load, unbalanced work ethic. And it's one of those things, it's a little bit tricky to know ahead of time, especially if you've never worked before, maybe don't know each other very long. So one of the keys that I talk about, if we look at stages, so let's say somebody's getting ready to start working with somebody, they haven't signed on the dotted line or their partnership agreement yet, but they're they're looking at it. One of the things that is key is for me is to really examine expectations. Oftentimes people go, I just... I presumed, like, if I had a dollar for every time someone who was struggling said, I presumed, it's like, no, no, I don't presume. Like, you really have to, you have to, you have to talk about it. You have to ask these questions. What is going to be the time commitment? You know, are, are, in the new world now, are we are we coming into the office? Are, are you going to work from home? Uh, who's going to open the doors at nine and clock out at, at five? You know, these are, are are these questions that early on you can hopefully figure out where each other is at and either decide how you're going to work it or handle it in some sort of way. If you're in a partnership, then again, same sort of scenario, kind of going back to, you know what, when we started this, we were going to be 50-50 on time. 
gee, Jerry, you know what? Now, admittedly, you're working working less than I am, and and that's okay. Maybe we need to have this reflected in our equity. Maybe we need to do something a little different, you know. Or or honestly, I'm I'm overwhelmed right now, and I need you to take some more off my plate. And oftentimes we maybe presume that's going to be a hard conversation and the other person goes, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. Let's, let's see, especially if they find out it's really hard. So again, it, it's, it keeps coming back to communication and really just being honest. Yeah. And I will say from my experience, uh, resentments only grow. Absolutely. And so if you don't deal with the thing right away, it'll become a problem. And uh, I actually just interviewed somebody else about communication. And uh, yeah, eventually it comes out. So pay now, pay later. Eventually you're going to pay. So might as well get the awkwardness out of the way. Otherwise, it's your business. It's you're potentially talking, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for your unwillingness to deal with uncomfortable things. So and the legacy for your kids. It's true. And there is a space for putting things under the rug. And this is where I talk a little bit about maturity. This is where I, I I talk to people about being able to really look at something and say, is this the hill I'm going to die on? Is this really, really important? And I think a lot of times when we look at these issues, we really can recognize that maybe it isn't necessarily such a big idea or a big problem. And so we also can we can throw things under the under the rug in a mature way and say you know what this is not a big deal we're on the same team i know they're not twisting their mustaches figuring out how they can screw me right i know they're on my team and so this necessarily i'm just i'm just going to let this go and it's not a big deal again if it happens again and this seems repetitive then well then yeah you need to address it but i think sometimes too we need to depersonalize the relationship. And if I can, if I can expand on that a little bit, a lot of times we mention that partnerships are like a marriage. And I would say yes in some ways, but in, in one way they're they should be very different. And that is that in a marriage, you really are focused on each other's well-being. But as business partners, you have you you want to care about each other's well-being, but the priority is the business. And I think if you do that and you say everything we do is a filter through that lens and we're really good, what is the best for the business? You can depersonalize it Mm -hmm. and you can say, uh, you know, maybe the best for the business is not to have your son, you know, step into this role. It might be better that we find somebody who's that. And then that person can go, oh yeah, that's true. Whereas otherwise they're looking at them saying, you just don't like my son. So that is the difference between looking at a partnership as like a marriage for what it really is, is sort of there's that third entity in the in the in the group or a fourth. It depends on how many co-founders, but really having to make that business the central figure. I, I was thinking about it like a baby. You know, you're, you're a some baby. baby. It's uh, a baby. Got to take care of the baby. But it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because the one thing that I was like, hey, what would cause the most stress that makes the most uncomfortable is that spouse family conversation and what doesn't go away is when you start a business with your family and that will be a whole other conversation that will park it's actually the next book the next book is literally how do you do because i couldn't add it it is so otherworldly that you don't you can't meld the two family is a whole other yeah because you still have to see them on sunday for dinner so we'll we'll have you back once that book is written (laughs) to talk about family because it is it is uh dicey it's it's so complicated and uh 
there's a lot of the thing that I think is different is the guilt. There's guilt wrapped in it. And like, that's a, an X factor. If you understand it, it's a little bit okay because you can't separate it. But when you're in it, you're in it. So, okay, Tannis, we, like I told you, we probably could chat for hours and hours and hours and hours. What is, as we finish up today, what is the one piece of, what did you learn in your career as a COO where you totally got your butt handed to you and maybe you got like really humbled by something that you learned and you say, whoa, I will either never do that again or just a really formative learning experience as you're in your growth as a leader. If you can think of one where I'm sure that they were maybe at least a couple, uh, anything that come to mind where you got your butt kicked and you learned something? Yeah, you know, I think really seeing or seeing as your company grows and scales, how you do things on a small level doesn't always translate later. And as you bring in experts and as you bring in hopefully really, really incredible talent, um, sometimes uh, we found that there was a point in the in the size of the company that we actually didn't know better always. And mm-hmm. you really had to lean in. And as entrepreneurs who who in the before had smaller businesses and had never really taken them to scale to no longer really be the expert in your business is very humbling when you realize that and you have to go oh my goodness actually i think i might need to really hand this off to you and your expertise and and it is about really handing your baby over to somebody and and saying okay i'm going to give you this piece you can babysit for a while and, and take it and i'm going to trust you with it and realizing that you have to be humble and that maybe your decisions in a particular field aren't the most knowledge based and you have to lean in on theirs and i think that was something that we we eventually had to learn as we grew our team to more and more incredible talent that were brought on board as more experts in their field. We really had to humble ourselves in that way and go, okay, we're going to trust and we're going to lean in on that and give them the reins. So that would be definitely one. Sweet. I love that. And you had so many successes. So it's really cool. Important reflection that there's always opportunity to grow as a leader and always opportunity to grow in partnership with co-founders or otherwise. Tennis, where can people pick up your book? Where can they learn more about you? Where can they connect? Where can they make friends? Yeah, absolutely. Amazon um, and all the other platforms, you can get the book in Kindle and and ebook and audiobook and paperback uh, March 2nd. And then at the co-founders hub, uh, you can check that out. It'll launch March 2nd as well. And all the resources there for people to really strengthen that partnership, no matter what stage they're in. Excellent. As someone who's seen a lot of businesses, if you are getting in in, uh, for lack of a better word, getting in bed with somebody in terms of business. Uh, I encourage you uh, to don't do that unless you're really in business together, uh, but do it on the front end to save you problems on the back end. We're not, we'll edit that part out. No, probably not. Uh, but uh, anyways, Tannis, thank you so much for being here. It was such a personal and professional pleasure. And I know it'll make a big difference for all the current and future co-founders out there. So thanks for being with us on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. Folks, my guest today, Tannis George, who is the founder of the Co-Founders Hub 
former COO of Trulyu, as well as a bunch of other startups. Folks, one thing to never take for granted is how much work goes into a relationship, whether that's a relationship with your employees, whether that's a relationship with your spouse, or the relationship with your co-founder that's going to take your organization to new heights. So put the work in, have those conversations early and often, save yourself trouble and challenges down the road. So once again, this has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.